Good morning, everyone. Uh, especially for those joining us online or watching a recording of this. The reason is um, what I was talking about before of having some mild trepidation in preparing this message and whether to use a script or um, speak from my heart is uh, there might be some things that I might say today that uh, are controversial. Um, and, and the reason they're controversial is because that, uh, well, there's a few things that have happened in the last few years that uh, people have used this passage in, in interesting ways. And I've been, my personally, been um, wrestling with the, the theology of been what's going on in real life. So if I do say something that's, uh, that upsets you or is, um, you think is wrong, then again, you're always welcome to send me a message throughout the week and I'll be happy to address that. Please don't do it on a, sun, on a Sunday morning. Um, that's, that's just, yeah, a request of mine for obvious reasons. But um, just to start the message on Romans 13, I just thought um, I'll just give you some insight into what's happening around the world right now with things that um, land us in jail. Some things land us in jail that um, we think, oh, why should, why should it land in jail? So there's some weird laws from around the, from around the world that you might know of you might not know of. Well, you probably know of this one. It's illegal to chew gum. Does anyone know the country that's legal in? Singapore, yes. Singapore's illegal to chew gum. So if, if you're going to be traveling to these places, this is a good heads up to be aware of because you don't want to end up in jail and you, you thought, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. For instance, wearing stilettos on your traveling to the uh, Acropolis. Absolute no-no. You're not allowed to do that. Um, damages it, apparently, and you'll be fined. Maybe even jailed. Uh, here's one for the kids. If you wear your Winnie the Pooh shirt to a playground in Poland, then, uh, or you won't fit the bill, but your, your parents will, of course. And so this is illegal to wear a Winnie the Pooh shirt in Poland in a playground because, anyone guess? What's he not wearing? Oh, terrible, isn't it? Well, this guy, this guy's breaking the law if you are in Barcelona. And so we do this all the time in Australia. Sometimes we uh, strut the beach um, or the esplanade with our shirts off. Absolute no-no in Barcelona. Well, this one I'll be fined straight away if I lived in Italy, particularly Rome. If I don't walk my dogs three times a day, then I'm up for liability. I'm up for a fine. Now, obviously, they're relying on people keeping track of you, your neighbors dobbing you in, but they're taking care of their pets in Rome. I'll tell you that. Who would be guilty of that? A few of us. Um, well, for the kids. I don't get this one. I'm just trying to remember the place off by heart. As we went through these this morning, I thought, yep, 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 yep. Um, it's illegal to build sandcastles on the beach in, I think, somewhere in Spain. I think it's somewhere in Spain. Um, well, if you're not allowed to wear your sh shirt off, uh, yeah. I, again, I, I don't get it. I don't know why. Um, this one's interesting. 
I confess I'd be guilty of this. Uh, in Portugal, you are not allowed to urinate in the ocean. It is illegal. Don't tell me how they enforce it, but if you're caught, it's fine. Now, well, Australia would be good to hear this. Japan, Japan, pretty much it's illegal to be obese. Okay? From what I read, in Japan, you are required to do an annual checkup to measure your waist. And if it measures over a certain amount, then, well, you got some things to work on, and you're, you're liable for that, okay? Again, wow. Here we have Russia. Russia, it's illegal to drive around in a dirty car. How they decide how dirty, I don't know. The way I was well to, it's coming to. And then if you're in the mood for love in a uh, particular city in Mexico, Wow, be careful. Because if you are found kissing in the streets of this particular town, you will be fined. Interesting laws, some crazy laws around the world. The title for this morning's message, as we've been introduced to these kinds of rules, is this. Asking the question, does submission always mean obedience? Does submission always mean obedience. Romans 13, verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So I've underlined the word powers, higher powers. And um, there's many questions that comes with this word because we say, what kind of power? When we say higher power, but there's no power but of God, well, I'll say straight off, I believe Romans 13 is talking to about our government power, but we'll get into that soon. But the question that has always bugged me is, has God chosen each instance of government. So when we say ordained of God, God said it straight. But has he chosen each instance of government to be in power? So for example, Anthony Albanese is in power as our Prime Minister. Has God chosen Anthony Albanese to be in that position right now? And so if he has, then it has to be true to all the other leaders around the world and not just leaders, but we know we have certain levels of leaders in our society, such as we have local leaders. We have our mayor. You'd class him as a, a power. And then you have the state. You have our premier and then federal and so on and so on. We have to ask the question when we read Romans 13 verse 1. This is very important. Has God ordained the institution of government or has he ordained each instance of government? I plead with you that he's chosen the institution of government. And what that means is that government exists today 
because of God. God chose when, as we're living in this world right now, even in today's world, he's chosen for society to work in a way where there is a government. There is an institution of government. However, I don't believe he's chosen particularly Anthony Albanese to be the government. We've done that ourselves. He's chosen the way we have our government to have leaders in our society because they're needed, but not each particular instance. Now, the other question I've struggled with is, well, we know there's different, there's, there's different um, institutions of higher powers, is there not? A lot of commentators and preachers that I've read and listened to believe there are three. Believe there are three. And because I ask myself, when I read Romans 13, which one is he talking about? For instance, three God-ordained institutions that people bring up is, the first one, family. We're talking about an institution where there is a sphere of authority where no one should be able to interfere or interrupt in that. So the decisions should be made just for that particular institution. No one, some overlap, but there should be certain decisions where the authority in that, in that institution makes the decision. Give you an example in a family. The parents should decide when dinner is set and what they should have for dinner. That's not for anyone else to decide. So are you with me in that particular sphere of authority? The second one they say is church. There should be decisions in the church that made from the authority in the church, but no one else. And the third one, of course, is uh, the government. That's a, that's a gimme. The government has its own, um, is its own institution, and we're a part of that. I say, I could be wrong, since I'm so young, and I'm only starting out in my, in my, in my password compared to all the all these uh, 30, 40, 50-year-old um, great men of God, just thinking, I think there's a fourth that is biblical and it's a workplace. I think God has ordained the workplace to be an institution where there is a, a boundary or a, a direct sphere of authority. People in that institution should be able to make rules within that place um, and, not, um, and not be made by anyone else. How I get this from, saying biblical, is all those scriptures where it's defined as a slave or the relationship between the slave and the master. The slave and the master, it's, it's a workplace. It was a workplace. It was a voluntary slave and you would be the slave for that household. And I think there are decisions there's in that institution, in that relationship that shouldn't be um, interfered with by 
um, external parties. Which one is Romans 13 addressing? Which one? I, I believe it's the government. And I believe that because, mainly from verse 4, how it talks about um, bearing not the sword in vain, only the government should be able to bear the sword. And also, um, verse 6, for this cause pay ye tribute. Now that tribute is not, uh, you can't get away with tribute being other anything other than taxes. When you read all the instances of that word being in the Bible, it has to be, it has to be talking about tax. So it's not talking about um, pocket money or rent assistance for your parents, or it's not talking about offering for the church authorities, um, anything like that. It has to be talking about tax. That, so that's why I think Romans 13 is addressing. So once we've got that out of the way, we move on to verse 2, which is the big verse. Whosoever, therefore, resists the power of God, and I use, use the King James Version for a reason, um, resists the ordinance of God, so the God-ordained institution of it, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So it's very important to look at the word resist because it will help us understand what's happened in the last few years. Whosoever therefore resists. Now, the Greek word, if I pronounce it right, is antitasomy. Uh, and, and it means, it's actually a military term. It means ranging in battle against. So it's not just uh, resisting, like, um, even like resist the devil, get away from me. It's actually opposing it to the point where you want to take over that particular person's role. So a child resisting their parents' authority is, well, you want to, you're your own person and you're going to be the authority. Whatever they say doesn't count. Same with the church, same with the workplace, you want to be the boss, you have no, and then same with the government. A great illustration is we have so many protests today. It's one thing to protest, that's fine. Of course, as long as you do it in peace and you're not provoking any violence, but to resist the government is to try to overthrow that particular, so everyone protests outside of Parliament House, right? So those, uh, you know, one million or so truckers that came back in the day in Canberra, they were protesting peacefully. If they were to resist, to use this word in its proper context, they were to pretty much do whatever they could to overtake Government House the parliament house. So it's overthrowing. It's, it's, it's causing a revolution, revolting. That's the proper word, the proper use of this word. Very important. Because I asked the question, this has always been on my mind, were churches resisting the power when they defied lockdowns or refused to wear masks? Now, you know me, I like to ask, answer the hard questions. The interesting questions. When you look at the word resist in Romans 13, were they doing that when they defied lockdowns 
all refused to wear masks. And I plead with you this morning that they weren't. They weren't resisting because they weren't trying to take over that particular um, government to the point. They weren't trying to cause a revolution with this particular decision that they made for everyone to abide with. Now, let's get a little bit deeper into that as we go on. Before we do that, though, verse 2, the reason I use the King James Version is really for this word is because we get scared of this word a little bit. It's the same word that they use in 1 Corinthians 11, which I addressed a couple of weeks ago when we had communion. Well, actually, no, that was last week, wasn't it? Damnation, we always think of we're damned to hell. And so straight away I think, whoa, if I resist the government, does that mean I'm going to be damned to hell? I'm going to have damn, experience damnation. And the answer is no. Another way, a more, I guess, mild word that a modern translation would use is judgment. But the question is, when you use judgment, judgment by who? And so you would get a mixture of responses. You would say, God's judging you when you do this because this is an institution of God that you are going against. God's going to judge you. I say, well, when I resist, well, when someone resists the government, okay, are they sinning? Is it a sin? I would say yes. Okay, it's sinful. But then you've got to ask the question, if God has paid for all your sins on the cross, so he judged you on your sins on the cross, is it a case of, well, he's judged you for every sin except resisting the government? And, of course, if we read 1 Corinthians 11, taking communion unworthily, is it just those two things? What's going on there? Or is it a case in the same context of um, Romans, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, is it more of a judgment by each other, by fellow humanity, which is obvious, isn't it? Because if I go and I go and, 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 and even, even go and break the law um, just publicly and, and however way I want, as a, not just as a pastor but as a human being, you are going to judge me, right? And we do, all this, we do this all the time on the road. Unless you're a great, like a very reserved and very patient driver. Now you're judging everyone all the time on how they drive. This is the way, way we, we do it. It's the same as the communion. They're taking communion unworthy. They're going to be judged. So I say you're going to resist themselves. Um, they're going to receive to themselves damnation, judgment. I believe it's judgment by humanity, not by God. Because then you'd have to explain the cross. Now, verse 3 goes on to say, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? So I, I specifically used a simple, very simple version with this. Just for you to get, because it's, it's, to me it's a verse that's a gimme. It's, it's logical. 
The rulers are not a cause of fear for good, uh, for good behavior. Well, they're not supposed to be. They're not supposed to be. Some are. Um, for example, you know, I go to China, and it's, 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 for us it's good to read our Bibles, but I'm going to be punished for it, uh, but for evil. So that's the idea behind God's ordained institution of government, to punish evil. But do you want to have no fear of authority then? Well, simple, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So I ask the question here, is it pleasing to God to not protest? The reason I ask that question is to get into insight on um, when people think, well, am I doing something wrong when I'm, I, I understand that I should protest against what's happening with these um, rules being in place that I, sh- I, shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't be happy with. For instance, I shouldn't be happy with, if I live in Victoria, um, the inability to pray for someone just to receive healing from their desires of a homosexual nature. So if I prayed for someone and someone whether in public or in private, and someone dobbed me in, then I could be in jail for that right now. And the same is now happening in New South Wales. So should I protest against that? Well, it's, it's, it's a very unfair rule. It's a very unjust rule. But I don't have time. I don't feel compelled to maybe travel down to, to Brisbane and, and protest or, 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 or maybe I'm occupied. So someone might think, hmm, well, should I or shouldn't I? And I'm saying, well, do what is good. When we define what is good, is it bad to not protest? And I'm saying not necessarily. Verse 4, again, it's another interesting verse because I asked myself, well, he is God's minister. To, to the person or persons in charge, he is God's minister to you for good. Again, but if you do evil, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. I have to ask the question, okay, so when I look at my history books, Even now, I look at leaders who are definitely not doing what God desires them to do. All right? Kim Kim Jong-un, whatever his name is in North Korea, you can't call him a minister of God. You can't call Nero, who was the leader in the time that Paul's writing this letter, a minister of God. It just does not make sense. You can't call Hitler a minister of God. Here he is killing six million Jews. It does not make sense. Stalin, of course, and there's many more. We've had many dictators throughout history. But here Paul's saying he is a minister of God. So what's the answer? 
Well, it depends how you interpret this text. You can interpret this text as descriptive, as in describing each instance of someone being a minister, or you can interpret this text as being prescriptive. Prescriptive means this is the ideal situation that God desires government to be. So what that means is, in reality, each leader that we have in governments around the world, they are supposed to be God's minister because God has ordained that institution in society. If God has ordained the institution, there obviously has to be a leader and that leader's job is really to punish evil and do good and therefore they are to be the minister of God. But not every leader is acting according to being a minister of God. So I interpret Romans 13 as being prescriptive. This is the ideal situation. This is what it's meant to be. If you do evil, be afraid. Logical. Simple. Because the government, or he, does not bear the sword in vain. Now, what do we use swords for? Do we just use it just to cut a little slit on the wrist? You know, a little pat? No. This is to punish evil. So this is a symbol for punishing evil. And I could go as far as, I'm not going to, where we talk about, well, should there be a need for there to be corporate punishment in society? Does God desire corporate punishment to exist in society? By the way, it doesn't really matter because it's the governments that decide. But it's, it's a theological discussion. And we talk about a life for a life in the Old Testament. And there is good evidence, theological evidence, to show that God does desire a life for a life. And um, under certain situations, there, uh, there should be um, corporate punishment. But bearing the sword in vain, punishing evil. That's what we're talking about. For he is God's minister. Okay, again, he's God's minister. This is what he's supposed to be doing. An avenger to execute wrath on him who, again, this word's very important, practices evil. Practices evil. So go back to Romans 12 if you want to. When we talked about the last uh, passage before about we don't, we ought not to take things into our own hands when, um, or to avenge ourselves. This is where this is the government's role. If someone goes ahead and, and kills my my, uh, my whatever, okay, myself or my family, then, well, I, let's just say it's my family. I don't take things into my own hands. I allow the government to do that. But the sad thing is, does the government, are the, the systems in place, really, are they doing that well? You know, for instance, I think, I still think of that sad um, Maribara incident with those people dying just because of a 13-year-old. Is that 13-year-old going to receive justice or according to the present systems? Maybe, not necessarily. But the 
husbands whose wives were killed, they're still not to take that into their own hands. They're not going to, God doesn't want them to go out and avenge that, uh, their wife's death by trying to take things into their own hands and maybe get this kid themselves. So you must submit to them. You must submit to them not only to avoid punishment but also to keep a clear conscience. And so this verse, verse 5, the other thing I was wondering in preparing this message is am I going to take two to do this, <laughs> two messages? And I've decided just to try to do it in one, but I'm mindful of time, so I'll see how I go. Because this is, or this answers a question with the title. Conscience. Also to keep a clear conscience. Not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. So the question is, what if my conscience says I can do this or not do that? What if my conscience says the ruler is telling me to do this, but I feel through my conscience I shouldn't do that? We have plenty of biblical examples of this. The most famous one that everyone thinks of is Acts 5.29, where, where Peter and John, I think it is, are told, don't preach about Jesus. And then we read that and we think, well... That's because it's going against God's word. And so we look at each, we study our Bibles and we think of, ah, oh, you know, what can we do? But I want to keep on addressing what, what's happened in the last few years. Does submission always mean obedience? I want to propose this morning that it, that's not necessarily the case. I think there are times when we can disobey and still submit to our rulers. And then that, that's real with all, all of these institutions. For instance, within the family. Maybe a, we're told that a wife is to submit to the husband. Does that mean the wife should obey every single thing that her husband says? But what if he steps out of his bounds? What if he steps out of his direct sphere of authority? For instance, he says to that wife, woman, just cook me dinner, cook me lunch. Is a symbol of the wife's submission that she just obeys whatever he says? A real life example that I've just come across lately, I heard someone say, and they're not in the room, so I can say it. <laughs> a husband telling a wife, I don't want you to participate in communion because of that gentleman who's serving it. Does the wife obey out of submission? Or does she have a right to disobey, but still in be subjection? 
And it goes with what resisting that authority means. Um, the workplace, again, a boss telling you to do something that's not clear conscience and not necessarily biblical. Um, so, for example, as a teacher, my workplace, I shouldn't have a boss telling me that you, um, that you have to teach that evolution is correct. But you might say, oh, that's biblical. Or well, what's going to something a bit more controversial, then let's talk about climate change. We're told that science has proven climate change to be real, but that's absolutely not the case. But then as a teacher, the boss tells me, you are to teach that climate change is happening and you are to persuade the kids that they've got to do something about it. It goes against my conscience. Let's get a little bit touchy. Governments telling us to be in a lockdown, to wear a mask, when my conscience tells me, well, those masks don't even work. Lockdowns don't even work. What do I do? Therefore, you have to ask next, but what if your conscience is wrong? Because we all have different levels of conscience. That's why we disagree so often. You say one thing's right, I say it's wrong. I say one thing's wrong, you say it's right. So what's important to know? I gathered this from some notes. If conscience is counter to biblical teaching, then it is wrong. We call it an ill-informed conscience. So therefore, it is absolutely necessary, and for it to be ongoing, that there is an effort to correctly form conscience. Therefore, an informed conscience applies God's objective moral law to whether a particular action is good or evil. This is what I'm saying. We shouldn't, as Christians, be necessarily telling another Christian that what you're doing is wrong until we've had that discussion, that ability for our ill-informed consciences to become informed consciences. So we can make sure that it aligns with biblical teaching, as verse point one says. And so, first of all, will there be times we disagree? Yes. And this is why we talk about Romans 14, because we talk about those times that we disagree. However, the interesting thing that's happening in society is this. It's called therapeutic tyranny. And this is where it might become a bit touchy. Therapeutic tyranny, or another name, is therapeutic totalitarianism, is where 
we are told that you should do this in order to help everyone else. Because it's therapeutic. It's helping. So we should have a lockdown because it helps everyone else. We should have a vaccine because it helps everyone else. We should wear a mask because it helps everyone else. So why would my conscience tell me that that's wrong? Why would my conscience disagree? It depends on what I have been informed with in my conscience. And so instead of accusing each other of doing something wrong, so did the churches do something wrong when they defied lockdowns? A lot of churches did say yes. A lot of Christians said yes. You're doing something wrong. Because they used Romans 13. They say you're, you're, resist, you're resisting government. Verse 6, but because of this, you also pay taxes. Before I go on, there's a lot more to be said, but I am going to finish this because there's only two verses left. But there's a lot more to be said with that. Um, and, and if you don't understand where I'm coming from, then please uh, feel free to have um, the, the discussion later. Now, because of this, because of this big God-ordained institution, there's a government, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, or rulers are supposed to be servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So with government being a God-ordained institution, how in the world are they to be funded? It has to be by us. Who else is going to fund them? God's ordained taxes to exist. Because they're devoting themselves to this very thing. It wouldn't happen otherwise. Government would not thrive. Society would not thrive. They just did it for free. So why are paying taxes necessary? In order for society to function in the way God desires it to function. What we uh, wrestle with, though, is, oh, but there's so many taxes, so many different kinds of taxes. And we're getting to that because, well, verse 7, pay to all what is due them, okay, taxes to whom taxes are due. Um, so when it's talking about taxes, this tribute that you might read in your King James Bible is we're talking about land tax, house tax, whatever. For you to have a property on land, to occupy the land, um, and so um, you could include rates as one of that. If we didn't include rates, then how would, we, how would Harvey Bay function? Everyone chips in, right? Um, revenue to whom revenue? So I chose this word. Your version might say customs. I had to look up this word because customs, and it's interesting the different translations because they uh, mean all different things. I, th I believe revenue is talking about those other fees that we pay like tolls. You know, if, in order for us to build a bridge together, we all chip in. So we make tolls, fees, different kinds of things. And so I think this is what Paul's talking about. I think the best word here is revenue. Um, even though when we talk about revenue, we think about, you know, um, 
Oh, no, I won't get into that. Um, fear, to whom fear is due, someone's asked. Now, we're not to fear men, are we? But, but, and then someone's asked, well, well someone believes. Um, a lot of people believe this is talking about God, fearing God, but I, I just don't see that. I still see it, um, you know, if we're going to do something wrong, then like, we are to, to fear the punishment. And by the way, one thing I haven't said that's very important this morning is if I go and do um, resist, resist, I, had to, I don't want to use that word, if I go ahead and, and, and break rules, break laws, you know, if I go ahead and break laws, even if I believe it's right because it's my conscience, I should be expected to receive judgment. Just like if I go to China, I should agree, in other words, to receive the punishment. So if I go to China, I go and start a church, I should expect to um, not be happy with it, but to be put to jail, right? Because that's, that's their law. That's their rules. And that's why we should take our hat off to all those pastors in China and, and abroad that are, are doing underground churches because they're living like this every, every day. But, but you should be expected to see this punishment. Now, fear is whom fear. I think it's because, um, yep, just like if you decide to do evil, um, honor to whom honor is due. And so even if the government is not honoring God, well, yes. But then again, if I honor someone, does it mean that I, um, that I, you know, I take my hat off to them all the time, I, I bow down to them? No. I can honor the person because of the position they're in, but I don't necessarily have to honor them because of the, the decisions they're making. And so again, I can honor someone without, um, for instance, you know, some people have a problem with, uh, with talking down about the government. They call it a sign of dishonor. I, I have to disagree. I can, I, can, I can talk to someone about how the government might necessarily be doing something wrong. For example, I can talk about um, Kim Jong-un, uh, about the, him not being able to allow his citizens to have the internet, any access to the outside world. Oh, I think it's wrong. If I was in there, I would still have no problem as a Christian saying it's wrong. Even if the government is not dishonoring God. And this is why people ask what? Even if our taxpayers' money is not being used appropriately, we still pay tax? Yes. Yes. It's as simple as that. Because of the role that taxes pay. So the last question, second last question is, has Romans 13 been abused in the last few years? I think it has. Because when pastors have, um, or churches I should say, have defied lockdowns all around the world, some have been put into jail, some haven't. And it's interesting that there's a new documentary coming out called The Essential Church. On This is based on churches that defied lockdowns and they, they um, give a reason on why it was biblical to do that. Christians have turned in on other Christians using Romans 13 as this passage to say, no, you have to do absolutely everything the government says, absolutely everything, 
um, because that's a sign of your submission. And as I said, my proposal this morning, just a proposal, you don't have to agree with me, <laughs> is not, I don't, not necessarily. It all comes down to motives. What is your motive when you decide, hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow that rule? Okay? I finish with a, with a confession. You know, I, I, I feel a bit anxious because we have policemen in the room. And, uh, but what I, I, break, I break a law every single Wednesday night as I go to Bible study. I, I confess. Okay? The law, sometimes two laws. So block your ears, Mr. Policeman. Wednesday night, I break the law because I do park in the disabled car park. Okay? It's a law. It's a law. But I'm willing to get fined if I get caught. I'm hoping it's not going to happen this Wednesday night. But am I resisting the government when I do that? No, my conscience just says, well, I'm not going to have any disabled people come tonight, so I might as well just park here. Sometimes, even sometimes, I do go through a red light. It is late at night. I don't see anyone coming. It's not hurting anyone because red lights are important. But at the same time, I'm willing to face the punishment if I get caught. But the question has to be asked, can you use Romans 13 on me to say that you shouldn't do that? You understand where I'm coming from? And so that's, that's, I won't tell you what intersection at all, but <laughs> just say, it's our motive. Our motive is what's important. And then when we said Romans 14, we're going to discuss, all right, what happens when we disagree and, uh, and how should we go about that? For now, I've gone over my time, so sorry. Um, and that means our fellowship time will be caught, will be stopped as well. I'll just pray quickly. Ask for my, uh, no, actually, I won't even sing. Heavenly Father, we just, uh, I, thank you that you have ordained an institution such as government, because we know it's so important. We know the significance of it. Really, without it, society would not function well. At the same time, Lord, we do have a role to play in the function of each society. Father, whatever way you've deemed us appropriate to speak to us, may we respond to that in whatever way we can, in the appropriate way, in an accurate way, and help us to be people that understand each other as Christians when it comes to submission to our authorities, whether that's in the, the home, whether that's in the church, whether that's in the family, whether that's in the, the, the workplace, Lord, or the government, which, whatever one I didn't say. Just want to commit ourselves to you, praying that, I guess, you will check our motives, Lord. You know our motives. Help us be people of integrity when it comes to our motives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.